Restaurant Unstoppable episode 453 with Tao Green. Uh, Grata Tim uh, Ferociter, which means step-by-step courageously. So it's the idea that um, you don't have to make giant moves if you can just go little by little and do, you know take um, courageous steps and do the best you can, then that's what's going to get you where you want to go. Yes. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable 89 percent of guests research a restaurant online before dining out your website is your first impression so answer me this question honestly what does your website say about your restaurant also websites are no longer static brochures they're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Tao Green. Tao, are you feeling unstoppable so today. unstoppable <laughs> yes a quick shout out to Awita michael for putting you on my radar Yay. also i gotta give a shout out to the i don't know if i've done it enough since i've been in town uh the guys or a cup of commonwealth have been so supportive connecting me with people in this community so quick shout outs to to those two groups a graduate of the university of northern carolina at chapel hill before jumping into the culinary scene tao green had a background in journalism pr and marketing it was during her time as chef and founder of thai orchid cafe when she fell in love with mark making ice cream uh, in 2013 i keep on saying marketing there i don't know why in 2013 uh crank and boom ice cream was founded uh, five years later they've expanded the brand to two locations and 40 plus retail partners and you guys are just crushing it. I can't wait to get your story. It seems like you're a little all over the place in the, the earlier years trying to find your lane, find your path. I uh, can't wait to find out how you found your path, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you have for us? Sure. Uh, so one uh, saying that I use a lot and write in uh, every notebook that I own is, and please uh, excuse my bad Latin because I don't actually know how to pronounce this, but I know it's in Latin, but it's uh, grata tim uh, ferociter, which means step-by-step courageously. So it's the idea that um, you don't have to make giant moves if you can just go little by little and do, you know take um, courageous steps and do the best you can, then yes. that's what's going to get you Slow where you want to go. I yes. love it. And that is not what I was expecting when you said bad language. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> Just different language. <laughs> yeah. So what was your, um, what was you, what, what, let me really pull that, that quote apart. What does that mean to you? How does that resonate with you? Well, 
For me, I think when, um, you know, I am a natural perfectionist. I grew up in um, an environment where I had to make straight A's all the time, um, and not even straight A's were good enough. It had to be straight hundreds. So oh, if I had a 98, I came home with a 98, it was, the question was, what happened to the other two points? So, oh. so <laughs> I, uh, I didn't, I never made a B until I actually went to college, and um and so that was the environment that I grew, you know, perfection was really the only option. So I think as I grew older and realized that um, that was not the case and that I could relieve a little bit of pressure off myself. And as long as I took little steps, uh, I'd made the best choice that I could at the time um, with the knowledge that I had. Um, obviously, there were lots of mistakes and missteps. And but, you know, in hindsight, I was like, well, you know, we, that's what we knew. That's what I knew. Um, we did the best we could. And if you, uh, are brave and courageous in the steps that you take, then that's all really you can ask for. Beautiful. Awesome way to get this thing started. So, uh, I mean, it's, you kind of took like a zigzagging path, not maybe zigzagging, but it looks like, you know, you went to the university of uh, North Carolina, Chapel Hill, uh, you're majoring in journalism and PR, right? Yes. Uh, and then you got into marketing at some point. So mm-hmm. at what point did, did you always love the, the food and beverage industry? Like, how did you make that break? How did, why did you break off from sure. that path to do what we're doing today? Well, um, I, like you, uh, grew up in a restaurant. So my yeah. parents owned uh, the first Thai restaurant in Frankfurt here in Kentucky. Oh, cool. And um, at seven years old, I started uh, refilling water for people. And that was my first job. I had to put two hands on the water pitcher because I was <laughs> very, very tiny. And that was my first job. And I, um, I slowly started doing other things. I would mess with the cash register. So my dad said, if you're going to play with the cash register, you're going to learn how to work the cash register. So seven? this was uh, probably the crash <laughs> register was probably eight or nine. Okay. So I had, I had to work my way up to it. And he said, well, if you're going to do that, then you need, might as well be useful. So um, I ran the cash register and I got a lot of funny looks of people who would, uh, you know, give over their credit card to pay. And this was, you know, we didn't have POS. It was just a by hand, by yeah. calculator. And so I did a lot of math in my head and sales tax. And so, yeah, it was a great experience. So I've always been in food um, because we work so much in the restaurant as a as children, um, I, you know, we were working there till I was 18. So 10 years of working in the restaurant, I swore that I never work in a restaurant again. Cause I was, <laughs> I was burned out and I just, yeah, I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. So, you know, when I was in college, I took other jobs. I did office jobs. I babysat, I did pretty much everything besides being in a restaurant. But then I started cooking for my friends and realized it was a great way to build my circle of friends. And then other friends would invite other friends. And I thought this was really fun. And um, I was doing uh, fundraisers for Habitat. So I was really involved in Habitat for Humanity in college, uh, organized some trips abroad, um, did a lot of fundraising. So I spent the the time creating fundraisers with food. And so the I kind of got that bug again, um, wanting to get back into food. Yeah. Even though I swore it off, yeah. I was like, never again, you know, I, uh, you know, threw my apron away, you know, as I like <laughs> stormed out the door. And, and then I realized that I was like, you know, I really love event planning. I love that side of it. I love the chaos. I love kind of, you know, directing this person to do this thing and that thing and um, really kind of caught the bug again. And I knew kind of in my head by the time I left college that maybe someday I would open my own restaurant again. So I had that little inkling in my head mm-hmm. as so, I was leaving. So eventually it happens. Like mm-hmm. what, what made it finally happen? What, what was the, the kind of the, the thing that pushed you over to the dark side? 
that again. Yeah, well, I got, um, you know, a, a quote unquote real job after college and um, did marketing here in Lexington for uh, the chapter of Habitat for Humanity. So I was kind of uh, following through with my love for Habitat and for service. And then um, I had an opportunity to go to India um, for a post. Uh, this is right after the giant tsunami in South Asia okay. happened in 04. Um, in 05, uh, one of our community leaders had uh, he was organizing a trip to India to take uh, 16 Kentuckians to rebuild a whole village that had been wiped out by the tsunami um, in South India. And he asked me to help uh, do some marketing and uh, said, if you help me with the marketing, I will pay for your plane ticket. I said, oh. you can sign me up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I will do that. So um, instead of asking off, I actually just quit my job. It was like, well, I'm just going to go to India. I'm just going to, I feel like that's where my next path is. Yeah. Like just something really drew me to that and the, the excitement and adventure of mm-hmm. not really having any strings tied anywhere and just like going off to the other side of the world to mm-hmm. do something helpful and useful uh, was really attractive to me. So um, did some traveling abroad, um, doing volunteer work and then came back and was like, well, you know, I don't have any money, a place to live or a job, so I should probably get a job. Um, so I started working in catering um, in the mornings, and then I used my uh, marketing background to do graphic design in the afternoon. So that was okay. my life for a while. And then I was like, well, maybe it's time to kick this restaurant I- uh, idea around again. So I convinced my parents, uh, who had retired from the restaurant world, to come out of retirement and uh, open a restaurant with me and they were going to get me set up and then I was going to kind of run it on my own eventually. So that's that's how Tight Orchid came about. Okay, cool. So um, you started with the catering. Were you working for another catering company or did you have your own catering thing going? No, I worked for another company here okay, in cool. town. And then yeah. you did design at night. Yeah. And uh, what about like, okay, so did you were you raising your own money? Were you saving, were you putting money away to open the restaurant? Or did you you know, knowing your parents would have be willing to make an investment. Is that kind of how it worked? Did they just invest yeah, in basically, uh, my parents, uh, we got a loan from the bank and, um, you know, they wouldn't give me by myself a loan. So yeah. my parents who are well established and, um, they put their house up as collateral okay. and, um, that's the, you know, they just know when they're going to do something, they know they're going to make it work. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's a, that's a whole lot of pressure for me to get my act together. If, you yeah. know, I'm not going to lose their house for them. So, um, you know, that's how we kind of got the ball rolling. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is your first restaurant that you own, right? Uh, right. So what was that like being the, the person that's steering the ship? Or were your parents, uh, were were they kind of a, a part of the day-to-day? Or were you kind of solo on this? No, this was very much a whole family effort. So, okay. you know, even though we had restaurant experience and, you know, as a as a kid, you don't know the background of, you know, having to turn your sales tax report in. You yeah. know, like, I don't know any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, hiring people, I don't know any of that stuff. Like, I know how to work hard. Yeah. That was really all I brought was just, that was all I had to offer, really. So, uh, eventually, you had to learn this stuff. So, what was that I process did. like? How did you learn it? Well, it was just... Um, Actually, you know, by fate. So we got started. You know, we thought, I was like, oh, we know, you know, we've done restaurants before. This should be all right. And we got our, you know, our asses handed to us the opening day. Like, it was crazy. And uh, and so I was like, well, we still got a, we got a long ways to go. So step by step, they would 
uh, teach me how to cook. Um, that was my first big learning thing was just learning how to cook on the line, uh, learning how to run a kitchen really efficiently. And, um, and then all the other stuff, you know, they put me in charge of hiring people, um, doing all the paperwork, uh, doing all the financials in the background. I was learning as we went. Um, but really, uh, let me think what time it was a few months after we actually opened, my dad, um, came down with a really serious illness. And so we actually had to close for a few months. So we were, me and my mom were living in a hospital with him as he was recovering from his illness. And we didn't know if the restaurant was going to make it, you oh, know, man. cause they had savings, but yeah. You know, you just, and we're such a new business that, you know, if we open back up, are people going to come? Are they going to come back at all? We don't know if we're going to come back. Uh, even at that case, we had a few employees, but we just didn't know what was going to happen at that point. So yeah. you just never know what life is going to throw at you. Yeah. And so by um, merely by necessity, you know, I had leaned on them a lot for a lot of these things, but suddenly like, oh crap, well, I got to... I got to learn how to close, you know, at night. Real what simple thing. This? this was um, the, let me think. It was the beginning of, let's see, we opened in 06. We opened in August of 06. And yep. then uh, my dad got sick in the spring of 07. Okay. So it was only a few months after after we had so you kind opened. Of, they kind of help you get everything moving. You yeah. Got, you know, you're open, you're, you're moving forward. And right. then, uh, you know, this horrible situation happens right. and this is kind of where you had to hit the ground running and figure it out on your own. So what were the biggest oh, yeah. challenges that you faced trying to figure that out? Oh, I mean, well, a lot of it is just learning to be brave on your own. Cause I think at that point I was like, I'd never been at the restaurant by myself yeah. with, with people. And so I was like, I don't even know what that's like. And so yeah. the first time that happened, I was like, you know, I showed up a few hours early and <laughs> just like, just was incredibly nervous yeah. about what that would be like. And then on top of that, the emotional, uh, pressure and strain of worrying about somebody who's you know at death's door yeah. and you don't know if that's something you're going to have to deal with mm-hmm. along with you know this place that you have a lease for for you know however many years that we had it probably five years um and so there's just suddenly there's all you know the pressure of opening a restaurant in the first place and then the added pressure of like well oh crap this is a this is a heck of a wrench being thrown at us yeah um so now what do you do so um, so what'd you do how'd you get how'd you push forward how did you um, i think it was just i'll I'll go back to our you know step by step courageously you just take it day by day um really try to support each other and um you know i had to come to terms with what if uh, what if dad's not here anymore mm-hmm. and then just in your brain kind of prepare for that and thankfully he's fine mm. and he's doing well today that's great to but hear. it was a um it was just a really scary time yeah. that was the first time that you know i had someone close to me um possibly you know and any thought of someone close to me being lost that yeah. way. So, um, you know, doing that and on top of that, trying to figure out a restaurant, which is complicated in oh, itself. Yeah. And even though I had worked in one, I knew how to work hard. That was easy for me. But all the, the little things that would come up that, you know, were all, you know, in the restaurant where well, you know this, there's always problems coming oh, yeah. up, things you're always trying to troubleshoot. What were some so, of the big problems that came up that kind of blindsided you that you had to handle on your own? Well, I think um, I think figuring out how to uh, work with other people mm-hmm. that were not, you know, we had only worked with our own family, basically, yeah. with our other restaurants. So 
having other people come in that were not family members mm-hmm. and then people who maybe didn't necessarily have your same work ethic trying to work through those dynamics and you know you work through all sorts of bad eggs before you get the good eggs yeah so take uh, us through that process of getting people to your to your standard to your culture of right. you know your family work ethic your hard work ethic how did you onboard people how did you get them to your your level I think uh, I think slowly over time uh, during the interview process, you're able to spot people that you feel like are going to mm. be a good match. Yeah. But even still, when you know, I would find someone, they'd be great. We might promote them to um, get a raise and maybe have a, a little bit of a position and something goes loopy and they just go completely bonkers on you. I mean, there's so many unpredictables, but I think you just uh, over time are able to spot um, the people that you are going to jive well with. Um, and that's the biggest thing is who are you going to get along with? Mm-hmm. Who can you communicate with? That was a big thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, who are, who are nice people? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's always been a thing for us. Like we don't want any turkeys in there that are going to not be nice to other people. I was like, I want to go. Yeah. <laughs> that's like my <laughs> more censored word for okay. the podcast. <laughs> okay. I like that. Can, can we it. cuss in this podcast? You can do whatever you want. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so uh, how else did you evolve as a a restaurant owner over these years? Because you had the uh, Thai restaurant until 2013, correct? Mm -hmm. So what were some of the other evolutionary moments for you as a business owner? Well, I think when – so my my parents were – pretty toasted after five years of being in the restaurant world and they're uh, helping me, you know, extended to five years and, and, you know, they were pretty exhausted. So Mm -hmm. we were ready to to take over the restaurant. So we bought the restaurant from them so they could retire. Who's we? Uh, Me and my husband, uh, Mike Green. And uh, we just thought, well, um, you know, there's a few things that, you know, now that we kind of have the full reins, we want to just do the marketing a little bit different. And we, you know, I had done, I call it guerrilla marketing from day one because we don't have a marketing budget. Mm -hmm. Everything is just, uh, we'd bring people in because we have good food and then we bring in people in because we have great service. Mm -hmm. And then um, we build connections and create a community of people. And that's basically how um, we tried to try to get people to come to our place mm-hmm. um, and try to tell people our story. Um, I did, had really great. This is where the PR background worked really well. Um, being able to connect with our uh, local media, um, doing radio spots, doing TV spots, uh, having uh, you know sending specials to the newspaper. So you know, just like really easy. Um, things that didn't cost a whole lot of money. Um, so I want to spend some time here. Uh, what are things that we as restaurant owners, all of us can do today to, uh, to leverage, you know, relationships and make those connections to, to connect with people, not just in our restaurant, but to like reach out into the community and to leverage those, those abilities to kind of get out there more. Cause that's what your background is like. So what, what can we all today start doing to, to leverage those, those channels of marketing that we usually don't? Sure. I think, um, so I think one of the biggest challenges for a lot of restaurant owners is, I mean, you just spend so much time at the restaurant and you're buried in everything yeah. that it's hard to, to get some breathing room to go do other things and to meet people and, get involved in other things. Uh, my thing that I did was I got involved with the local chamber. So we, um, we got a, a green business, small business award, and I started to get to know the folks at the chamber and um, joined a leadership program. And uh, part of it was, you know, for my own personal leadership development, but also it was an easy way for me to find a group of people that I could just talk about um, ice cream and Thai food to. Um, and that was kind of my way 
that was the first way that I kind of got out of the restaurant. Because before, when um, you know, when we were still working side by side with my parents, I was just in the kitchen for sixteen, eighteen hours a day, and I yeah. didn't see I didn't see the light of day. Yeah. I didn't really see very many people for for really anything. And I have a fairly social personality, so getting out and just talking to people and meeting people was really part of uh, of who I was, and that's something that I needed to do, or I would just feel like I was locked away. Forever. So when you were getting out and you were trying to meet people, how are you processing like who you should be talking to? How, how are you targeting the people you should be surrounding yourself with? Um, I think really uh, try to do it organically. I didn't have a target. You mm-hmm. know, I want to go speak to women 25 to 30. I really just wanted to be around nice people mm-hmm. that I feel like I could connect with as friends. And, um, you know, it's like ripples. You meet one person and then suddenly they become your advocate and say, oh, have you gone to that Thai place? I really like it. The owner's kind of nice. And then you they talk to someone else and maybe someone else comes in and um, when you're at the restaurant all the time, they come in, they see you, and mm-hmm. you wave at them and thank them for coming. And, and so it's kind of a slow process, but to me, it's much more organic and real versus putting a bunch of billboards up where maybe a whole bunch of people will see it and they'll come, but will they come back? Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of the big So the big why question. is that approach of the slow, organic, and real, why is that more powerful than just trying to, you know, I guess, get yourself out there in front of anybody that will give you the time of day? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you can look up restaurant statistics and stuff, but I think for the most part, you rely on your regulars. Mm -hmm. And really, to me, it's more fun having Mm -hmm. regulars because why not be able to go and serve your friends versus a bunch of strangers all the time, which is also fine. But um, if you're able to build it as like a community place where, you know, you come in and then someone else sees someone else that they see and uh, it just has good energy. And I think that's what I really like about the restaurant industry. So when you're saying PR, really all you're saying is you're just going out and you're finding people who are doing things in your community that resonate with you. You're surrounding yourself with them. You're giving yourself to them, uh, maybe contributing to what they're working on, being a part of what their projects are. Right. And then over time, uh, that when you give and you give, it will come back to you some way, somehow. Is that basically what was going on here? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, if you get real uh, spiritual about things, I really believe in karma. So mm. I feel like if you put good things out, maybe you won't see it at all, or maybe you won't see it for 20 years, but um, it certainly doesn't hurt to just put as much good stuff out into into the world as you can. So let's start talking about the evolution of Crank and Boom. So that kind of, you you kind of just stumbled upon the world of making ice cream, right? It kind of just happened. So take us through what happened. Yeah, the great part about Crank and Boom is that the whole, every every step that we've taken in, in growth or um, expanding our company has been by accident. Like, um, you know, people always talk about a business plan and we're going on thir- 13 some years that we've been in this industry and we still don't have a business plan. <laughs> <laughs> and really, if we had a business plan by the time I got it done, because it would probably take me six months just to <laughs> get it done, it probably would change. And yeah. so um, that's why I haven't put my nose to the grindstone to actually you know, put one out, but, uh, you know, it's, it all started just when, when we purchased the restaurant, I just thought, I said, I think that'd be fun to have coconut ice cream, which is, uh, I equate it to in New York where all the hot dog stands are everywhere yeah. in Thailand, there's all these coconut ice cream stands. So there's these little, little guys that, uh, bike around and have this little freezer and basically how they serve you coconut ice cream is on a hot dog, literally a hot dog bun <laughs> and three little scoops with condensed milk over top and peanuts. It is, it's really kind of the best thing ever. <laughs> and I just, I thought, well, I can't really find any here. And I thought that'd be kind of a fun 
uh, thing to do just to yeah. see if I can make it because I never made ice cream before. Mm-hmm. So I bought a two quart Cuisinart off of Amazon and watched some YouTube videos on how to actually use it <laughs> and uh, found a recipe online and thought, I was like, well, we'll just give it a try. And two quarts later, the batch came out and it's like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Even the first try, I was like, oh, I, I was like, this is really fun. And so we would uh, sell coconut ice cream just as the dessert option for quite a while. And then I thought, I was like, what if be kind of fun to make other flavors and so the second flavor we so how made how long did it take you from go, going from one flavor to two flavors i would say it was probably several months okay. i just didn't think of it you yeah. know i just thought like oh, okay well i have to make co-, like everything else i have to yeah. cut the chicken and well i have to make coconut ice cream yeah. it just wasn't really a thing and then people started really think uh, saying it was really good i said oh thanks yeah. <laughs> that's wonderful okay and clues clues are yeah so um and then that year our far our organic farm that we were uh, sourcing a lot of our vegetables for the restaurant they had a huge supply of sweet potatoes okay. and so they said you know they had a mountain-sized pile of sweet potatoes at the farm they said please take take all the sweet potatoes so we brought a bunch of sweet potatoes back and i made sweet potato pie ice cream mm. so it was sweet potato ice cream with uh candied pecans it was really simple but yeah. uh i thought huh that's fun yeah and so we put that out there and i was like that's kind of weird <laughs> and yeah. people but people took to it and so i i got the bug to try to make other flavors and that same farm had uh strawberries really early that year and we made the best strawberry ice cream i've ever had in my whole oh, life and yeah. i've never been able to replicate it because those organic strawberries were available in april which wow. just doesn't happen anymore yeah. so we've never i've never been able to replicate it because of those strawberries but i still have fantasies about it I'm like man <laughs> if i could have that strawberry ice cream again that would be amazing uh yeah and so we uh i would just try all these different flavors and maybe built up to i don't know five or six flavors that we'd put in the in the freezer. Yeah. And you were also sourcing from local organic uh, dairy farms too, right? Or at maybe, that point, um, no? no, just, I was basically just getting milk and cream from okay. a supplier. Okay. Um, the same milk and cream you would get at the grocery store. Okay, cool. Um, but I was starting to get um, to the point where I was actually getting it from a dairy supplier versus just buying it at Did Kroger or something. Did that change the quality? Did you notice a change? At that I point? didn't notice any change okay. at that point. Um, but again, if you, I mean, it's a really, if you go to ice cream in the grocery store, it's kind of, it, isn't quite as clean tasting mm-hmm. um, to me, and but when you start with just milk, plain milk, plain cream, and then just add the the really fresh ingredients, it just has this very clean taste to it, and that's what I really liked okay. about it. Um, cool. So even though it wasn't you know anything fancy on the dairy side, just because it was fresh milk, fresh cream without um, a bunch of additives in there, yeah. um, it was a good start cool. for what we we're doing. Okay, so at what point did you say, like, we, we really have something here, and maybe we should lean into this and make this into what we do? Yeah, so we... I would say probably six months I had built up to maybe six or eight flavors and I would post it on Facebook and I would, and at the time we just had Facebook for social media mm-hmm. and I thought, well, all the ice cream posts are getting way more likes than the Thai food posts. This is 2008, right? This 2009? Was, no, this later? was probably 2000. 11 okay. when I started making ice cream. But you're cream. still very kind of ahead of the game by even being on Facebook at this time. Right. So. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was our, uh, you know, that and email newsletters were our yeah. main communications yeah. with our customers. And so uh, at some point at this, I think about the six uh, month mark, people started coming into the restaurant and okay. then also ordering ice cream to go and then not getting any Thai food. So <laughs> the first time that happened, I just thought, huh, well, that's strange. Yeah. 
And then it kept happening again and again. And so, you know, this was just through Facebook posts, basically. Yeah. And someone came in and said, oh, yeah, I've heard about this ice cream here. You know, this is a random Thai restaurant um, making ice cream. And so it had already made some sort of impact on people without me even trying. And so I thought, I was like, oh, well, you know, summers are kind of quiet at the restaurant. Wouldn't it be fun if we made more ice cream yeah. and then we could take a little cart out to the farmer's market and maybe sell ice cream because it, it was just fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, I'd been in Thai food for so long and, um, you know, there's all sorts of challenges in terms of culture and people understanding what it is. But ice cream is so universal that it just felt so easy mm-hmm. to sell ice cream. And so it just started as a fun side business. Um and then, you know, me who likes to charge into things, I was like, well, if we do that event, maybe we can do this other event. And started booking events before we even had an ice cream maker to make it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, we have a finish line at least. <laughs> so we need a cart and we need to be able to make ice cream. So we need some sort of machine. Uh, I don't even know what to put it in. You know, do you have a cardboard tub or I don't even know how much ice cream will feed. You know, do I need 10 tubs to feed 100 people? I have no, I have no idea about yeah. any of this. Um, and so we decided that uh, instead of calling it Thai Orchid Cafe Ice Cream, which would just confuse people even more, that we would give the ice cream its own name and its own brand, which is why we called it Crank and Boom. Why versus. Crank and Boom? So uh, there's two stories behind the name. Um, the easy version is Crank is the old-fashioned way of making ice cream. Mm-hmm. And then Boom is the flavor. So if you have bourbon and honey ice cream, that means you taste the bourbon and you taste the honey. And it's really in-your-face kind of flavor. Um, sometimes ice cream flavors can get kind of dulled into the into the dairy and so we wanted to make sure that people tasted whatever flavor it was so boom when i hear that i was thinking like crank like like you crank something right yeah. and then boom like a, a boom that you like reach out into like i was thinking like very like industrial oh I don't know why, but it's boom like flavor yeah, yeah. boom like in your face yeah and that's cool yeah and so the the other real backstory is my college roommate's name is katie rankin and so her nickname in school was uh, K Rankin, Crankin, K R A N K I N. And then she married a guy named Brennan Bauma, and his nickname was Boom. And so together, their couple name is Crankin Boom. <laughs> and uh, so I bought the domain name Crankin Boom years before we had the ice cream with oh, a K. Funny. <laughs> I was like, so we're going to name something that. And I was yeah. like, we're going to have a business and we're going to name something Crankin Boom because that just sounds really fun. <laughs> and then ice cream just really was a great fit. So we picked that that name for it and just change the K to a C. So like just reflecting back, I love how uh, like you just listened to the market. You did something, you tried something. uh, You also followed your passion and it just, I mean, when we can get that one, two punch of like, leaning into our passion doing what we love and people love it too yeah and then that's like, like all these like little hits like the, like these these hints these like little trails are like breadcrumb right like yeah. success leaves hints in, in a trail and you just like paid attention to that and you just started leaning into it mm-hmm. um which is just great and you scaled like you didn't go okay like let's open an ice cream place tomorrow like yeah. let's start with the farmer's markets let's right. continue to grow the brand and grow the following um so what was happening after the farmer's markets so uh, that uh so we first launched crank and boom as a brand in 2013 mm-hmm. And our first event was something called Thursday Night Live, which is a concert series downtown. And at that point, we had a uh, we had the branding behind it, so the purple, the purple, and the the fonts and all that stuff. So we had a little purple tent and our little cart. And that day, I said, I don't even care if we sell a scoop of ice cream. I was like, we got the t- you know the T-shirts literally came after we had opened, <laughs> l- literally hot off the press, and you know the tent was fresh and. 
um, everything was brand new. I said, I, I, we just got here. I'm, I'm happy for that. We don't even need to sell any ice cream mm-hmm. today. But, you know, eventually we didn't sell some ice cream. And we did. Um, and then that very next day we had another charity event. Um, and people, when they saw uh, the branding that we had put together, they said, oh, where are you from? Like they thought we were a chain. So okay. I thought that was the, the best compliment. <laughs> I was like, oh, we look more put together than we yeah. are. Which is <laughs> nice having that design background, right? And right. those like the marketing skills that you came to the table with. Right. So, yeah. So we had a we had Bullhorn, which is the design firm here in town, and they helped us put. Uh, I basically gave him a picture of a brewery that I liked and said, mm-hmm. "Build me a build me a brand around this picture." Yeah. It was a blurry picture of a brewery that I love in Asheville, <laughs> and they they delivered. I was like, I don't know how they did it, but you know, we still use the same branding yeah. elements today. But um, kind of having an eye for what I felt like um, was true to who I was mm-hmm. um, and who we were as a company. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's go with this. See I what happens. It. Nice. So uh, eventually you you get out of the Thai restaurant uh, and you lean full hard, you know, fully into the uh, ice cream business. So mm-hmm. take us through what that transaction was or that transition was like. Sure. So we um, had also started another brand called Thai and Mighty Noodles. Okay. And so out of the Thai restaurant, we were running, um, I think one or, I can't remember how many summers now, we were doing both uh, events for Crank and Boom and also going out and doing um, the same, uh, a lot of similar events for Thai and Mighty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were, and then we also had a restaurant at the same time. Yeah. And so we were running, uh, I think that second summer, we were running maybe 200 plus events in a summer. Um, and that means like going, setting up a tent, making food for it, serving it, um, closing the restaurant. So we had um, several summers where my husband and I literally got no sleep for mm. the summer because we we didn't have to do it that way. But again, um, just my personality, I was like, well, we're gonna go, we're gonna go all in, yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna hit it hard, and we're gonna try to be out there in the community and get this new brand out and see if people like it. I was like, I just want to get our ice cream in front of people. Cause once they try it, they're going to love it. Yeah. And, um, and tie and mighty was very true to my heart too, as a concept that I still think will work eventually in maybe some other day. Um, but it was like fast, casual, kind of like a Chipotle for noodle bowls. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was with my love of noodles, noodle carts in Thailand. Um, but anyways, we were, uh, we had switched the Thai orchid into a Thai and mighty. So the evolution was Thai orchid and then Thai and mighty as a mobile food truck, uh, crank and boom as a mobile food truck. And then we turned the brick and mortar into Thai and mighty and then also did crank and boom and Thai and mighty in the, Mobile. in the field. Yeah. So we wow. had a lot going, a lot going on. We had a lot going on. So what things did you have to get done to be able to have all those moving parts? How did you scale into having all those moving parts? Uh, we had, um, we, we, Got more staff, mm-hmm. um, so that helped a lot, and then um, got people in place at the store, so I didn't have to be at the store mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, we have a uh, a picture that uh, my husband took of me and that I put on Facebook it was actually me physically outside the restaurant when the open sign was still on. I mean that was <laughs> that was like a huge deal. I mean that hadn't happened in probably. I don't know, eight years Being or so. physically outside the yeah, restaurant. physically with the outside side. with my purse, like I was going to go somewhere. And, and so, you're leaving the business open. Right. Basically and somebody you, yeah. is, somebody else is oh, doing man. the work. So it was, it was a big revolution that day. <laughs> what, what year was this? Uh, I can like remember. 2012? Exactly. Maybe? maybe 2012, 13-ish yeah. around that time. Right when we were kind of transitioning all these mm-hmm. things. 
and and so it was just uh, yeah. So how do you know it was a time that you could leave? What things did you put in place? What was there? So having um, having a line cook that I could trust, mm-hmm. who had worked with me for a few years, um, that I knew it was fine. And really, I probably could have left earlier, but it was my own just wanting to. It was my own uh, need for perfection, and that was something that I. You know, if I wanted to grow, I was going to have to let go of yeah. because, you know, when you hand something off to someone and even when you do it yourself, it's not necessarily perfect, but at least you're there to witness it yourself. Yeah. Um, but if somebody else is kind of taking the reins and doing something, you can't be there to fix issues or um, make sure that it's done a certain way. But if you train people really well, you can leave um leave someone to in charge and okay so that's so a process it was a process for me to learn so what's that. that process of training people like how did that look how did you get your people up to the point where you're like okay they're ready so i think for at least for me working alongside them was a big thing mm-hmm. and um and for me the first step was well you know such and such has been with me and we've worked side by side for 14 16 hours a day mm-hmm. obviously i think he knows what's going on yeah. so it should be okay if i leave yeah. for uh the evening um, and then, uh, yeah, just having that trust, having follow-up. Yeah. If something uh, wasn't done appropriately, then you follow up and, mm-hmm. and uh, make sure that people know that that's not the standard that you're looking for. So having those standards set. And yeah. w- were you good about writing these standards down and like documenting these No, standards? not no. at all. Okay. <laughs> not at that stage. Okay. Are you there uh, now? Have you feel like... I think we're getting better. Okay. Um, a lot of stuff we still do is, is, is just... Uh, kind of behavior training versus like here's the manual we're getting better definitely and i think you you have to put those systems in place if you want to grow more yeah i think if we were just that thai restaurant forever then we wouldn't have to write anything down i mean everyone just knows what's going on and really that's just more work (laughs) for you to have to do (laughs) and so you know at a stage where uh we are with cranky boom where if we do want to open more stores and um in either a different market or a different state or something. We, we can't just wing it <laughs> like mm-hmm. we have so yeah. far and having written processes is something mm-hmm. we're working on cool. for sure. Okay. So, uh, it was 2013, right? That you, or sorry, 2015 that you opened the crank and boom lounge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how did you know you were ready to lean into a brick and mortar? And at this point in 2013, did you get rid of the Thai, uh, noodle and, uh, restaurant we those are gone right no uh those so the uh shop actually closed in 2015 okay um so we had actually opened uh the ice cream shop for about half a year while also operating the thai restaurant okay so um that kind of added to our plate why why stop with the other businesses well i think um we had gotten to a point where we had seen the potential for the ice cream business Mm -hmm. and like i had mentioned before if you take the population of people who even know what thai food is and what um people who are even interested enough and then the number of people who are willing to walk into your door and pay for it um that chunk of of the population is much much smaller than people who are going to be willing to come in and buy a Mm -hmm. scoop of ice cream Mm -hmm. and so as a um it was it was much more scalable um it was much more replicable the quality control was much easier mm-hmm. um why? We could, why, are, why are all these things that you're saying the, the way like why so um you know i could at this point i could probably pull anyone off the street and pretty much train them to to scoop ice cream yep. it's a pretty easy mm-hmm. process yeah. um but um t- for someone to produce thai food it would take six months of a mm-hmm. really good line cook for mm-hmm. me to get them trained yeah and then um you never know um 
if they're going to stay mm-hmm. or I've invested all this time, uh, the overhead of developing the staff board is just much higher. Yeah. Um, and like I said, the population that you're working towards, um, is just much smaller. Mm-hmm. And so the marketing side of it, there's just a lot more work on the marketing side just to get uh, people to remember that you exist. And then- You're talking, uh, about, you're talking about Thai food. I'm talking about Thai food. Yeah. And then, um, but with ice cream, I mean, it just kind of markets itself. Yeah. Like yeah. people just know what it is and yeah. they know, um, you know, what's unique about you. That's kind of the piece of what we do on the marketing side. Yeah. It's like, what's what's different about yeah. our ice cream? But we, and we hear all the time on the show talking to people, you know, it's do one thing really well, mm-hmm. you know, and even if it's that one thing, if it's ice cream, do one type of ice cream really well right. and own that sector, own that niche. Right. And uh, it, it's so much easier to train people, like you said, to do a few things really well right. than to have like, I don't know, I don't know what your menu looked like at the Thai restaurant, right. but the Thai restaurants I've been to, there's like five pages <laughs> yeah. and it's like, how are you going to train everybody to do all these things? It's, it's yeah. so complex. It is. Uh, and the, the transactional nature or the transitional nature mm-hmm. of our, our industry like you get people up to a point where you you can kind of trust them and then they move on to the next opportunity, right? Right. right. So I totally get it. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. Okay. So 2015, you, uh, you open Crank and Boom Lounge, you uh, drop the other mm-hmm. appendages that you, you have going right. on and you just right. lean full into uh, Crank and Boom. Talk to right. us about leaning full in and how that, how you've evolved from this point where you're now a brick and mortar. This is right. three years ago. Yeah. We, um, so uh, I would say closing that Thai restaurant was probably the definitely by far the hardest thing that I've done in my career. What's so hard about and it? I think it was because, well, it, there's so much history because mm. um, we had a Thai restaurant when I was growing up. Um, my family was involved. And so it was like a it was like saying goodbye to a piece of my family. Mm. Um, we had worked so hard in it and to build it to where it was, you know, it was still a viable business. Um, if it was still the only thing we were doing, it would be really easy to run because we had great systems in place. Um, and so it was like we had built this thing only to let it go. Um, okay. And that was kind of hard to come to terms with. Did you get any money for it? Did you sell the, the did you We own did the sell business? the business. Okay. So um, it wasn't significant, but it was it was something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, no one came and dropped $5 million to, to yeah. buy our little Thai restaurant. <laughs> um, and so just saying goodbye to that piece of our life, um, yeah. even though you know, it was just time for it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, ultimately what was it that made you say goodbye? It was, I would say the best, uh, way to sum that part up was, so my, my husband, Mike is, is very wise. And unfortunately he's right. Most of the time, I would say really all of the time. (laughs) It's really obnoxious, (laughs) but, uh, he always has a great way of when I have a hard time processing things, he has a great way of, of making it really clear cut and having giving me the vision that I need to kind of work through something. So at the time he said to me, he said, you know, the tie, the tie business is awesome and we love it. But, um, sometimes you have to drop one dream to chase a bigger dream. Mm. And for us, we saw the potential of crank and boom. If it could, um, if we could take it nationwide, maybe it could go to Thailand someday, Mm -hmm. but the, you know, the Thai restaurant was never going to make, um, the ceiling for opportunity was not high enough Mm -hmm. um, for the dreams that we had. And we just had so much positive energy with the ice cream. You go out and people are happy. Um, People, almost nobody complains about anything. And then when you're in the restaurant industry, people seem to complain about everything. Mm. (laughs) And so going from that dynamic to this happy, happy place in the food industry where 
um, we don't have to work on Valentine's yeah. Day and we don't have to work on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Is Valentine's Day? No, tomorrow, tomorrow. tomorrow. Saying, you're working right now. <laughs> I know, but you know, all these things was like, oh, we could have a normal life. I was like, we could, um, we don't have to work every evening. We don't have to work a hundred hours a, a week just to make it. Yeah. Um, all these things were, I mean, it, on paper it, it, may, it was a no brainer, mm-hmm. but emotionally I was still attached to the old business because it was what we had built. It was, it had so much history. And, um, yeah, it was hard to say goodbye. So that how was you, really tough. Yeah. So, okay. So all great valid points. Um, I bet your quality of life now is far better than it was then too. Oh um, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you scaled crank and boom since 2015 to moving into your first brick and mortar, which is actually where we're sitting right now. Yeah. Um, which is a beautiful space. Thank by the you. Way. Thank yeah. you. So we opened the restaurant here and that really formed again from, uh, listening to customers. So mm-hmm. we were out doing all these mobile events, um, one day, uh, somebody called from the Holly Hill Inn, um, Wida's restaurant, yeah. and said, uh, we have a, a, a bride who wants you at their wedding. And I thought at the time, I was like, I don't do weddings. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. So I, I gave her some ridiculous price on um, what it would take for us to come and do a wedding. And they were like, okay, that's fine. I said, we are now doing weddings. I was like, holy cow. I was like, you know that's a huge opportunity for us to expand and to be part of someone's special day. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Um, It was probably because I was tired and grouchy at the time. I was like, (laughs) I don't do that. (laughs) But, you know, those first few summers, we just pounded the pavement and um, really got out there in the community and really just wanted people to try our stuff. Wait, so I'm confused. So we... I'm sorry. There's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. So Um, I'm talking from 2015. Uh, when you moved here, have you you've expanded to another location, right? right? So how did that come about? Right. Sorry, I was backtracking. I was no, trying to explain good. why we opened the brick and mortar oh. was because um, people, while we were out in the community, they were saying, yeah. uh, "Where's your shop?" And we would say, "Gotcha." It's this. We have this Thai restaurant, and their eyes would glaze over. Like I don't really understand what you're telling me. And mm-hmm. so, are with you us, a Thai restaurant? I know. This <laughs> is like, is, is it, it Thai ice cream? I said, "Well, a Thai person makes it, so maybe technically it's Thai ice cream." <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and so eventually people shifted from saying, where's your shop to, you should open a shop. Okay, and you. at the time, sorry, I didn't mean to backtrack. And no, so, I appreciate it. It makes um, sense now. there's a lot going, it's a big jumbled mess. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even keep up with it. And, uh, so getting, you know, listening to people basically, mm-hmm. and they're saying, we really want a shop. And I thought, you know, it would be really great if people had a home base mm-hmm. instead of just floating around to different events or trying to find us somewhere they could go somewhere and just know that the ice cream was there all the time because mm-hmm. we were also getting into uh, different retail locations and uh, like grocery stores and things too so it was just a too long a conversation we could just say here go to our shop yeah. um, and that made it a lot easier Cool. Yep. So you now have the second location. Uh, mm-hmm. And from what I understand, I've been in the community. Uh, the, the Fitz at what's what's the uh, Fritz Farm. Fritz Farm. Yeah. Summit so, at Fritz Farm. OK. So mm-hmm. uh, how did you get that opportunity? How did that come to you? So soon after we opened, uh, actually, I think before we might have opened the shop, the uh, folks that were developing that place, um, Bayer Properties out of Alabama, mm-hmm. they had approached us and said, we want you to open a shop in our uh, fabulous new shopping center. And I said, I don't really want to open a shopping center and <laughs> said no. <laughs> and uh, eventually they kept coming back and saying, we really want to talk to you. Some things have changed. Uh, we really think it'd be a great fit. 
and I kept saying no. I was like, I don't really want to go to a shopping center. But then um, they started developing the idea for a barn, the mm-hmm. barn food hall, mm-hmm. and said, well, you know, it's going to be this place that's going to be kind of like a food court, but it's going to be all local people. Mm-hmm. And here are your neighbors who are going to be involved. And Wida was involved. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if Wida's going to do it, well, maybe I should yeah, do it. Because, yeah. um, you know, I just, I I love her so much and, yeah. and, and admire everything she does. So if I could go and be neighbors with her, I was going to go do it. Yeah. Um, so eventually uh, they convinced us and said, there's this great project that we're going to get all these local folks in. It's going to be unique. It's going to be the only food hall in Kentucky. Well, it was the first food hall in Kentucky. And um, you'll get to be a part of something really cool. And I yeah. said, okay, we'll, we'll give it a shot. And it also was an experiment for us because we're, you know, the the lounge that we opened in 15 was it's in this industrial area. When we started, there was no parking lot. It was just gravel. There's no, there's still no lights in the parking lot. Um, It's kind of a up and coming uh, developing area. Mm -hmm. So it's not really shiny or uh, polished or anything like that. (laughs) Well, that's why we loved it. We thought it was appropriate for what we were trying to do. And we love our neighbors here. And we thought, well, what would a Craig and boom look like in a different sort of setting Mm -hmm. in this brand new development? Um, Is it something people would, uh, still feel is approachable would we be able to carry over the brand of this kind of industrial feel over to something that's brand new and shiny uh so yeah it was kind of uh that was kind of the the thought process behind opening that second shop okay uh, so the other cool thing that just came into my mind this is that that area that development draws a lot of people mm-hmm so you're also getting that exposure that you probably wouldn't get otherwise of people discovering your brand have you found right. that to be true or have- oh yeah i think the uh you know i wasn't sure how people would react if they thought we were um i don't know just abandoning our roots or something or i had no idea what how people react but really most people that when we started saying that we were going to open that second shop was that oh good you're on my side of town now yeah so instead of um so folks who are out on the south side who mm-hmm don't feel like coming into town. They have another spot that mm-hmm. will save them a good 20, 30 minutes yeah. of driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, the po- the feedback was really, really positive. Cool. All right. Anything we haven't touched on up to this point before we take a break to thank our sponsors, like anything that y- y- is near and dear to your heart, like a conversation, something that you were hoping we would talk about. Now's the time. I, I don't think so. I think just trying to make sense of all that <laughs> mess that <laughs> happened between two, uh, tw- 2010 and uh, now. So, just trying to decipher it all. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Ben. Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. 
Head to GetBento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. Payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like this foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. All right, we're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? I would say being open-minded. That doesn't come up often. So why? how has open-minded, being open-minded served you? I think uh, not having a set plan saying, you know, in 10 years we will do this, 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 and this. I think being open to the universe, to what it will present to us, Mm -hmm. um, opportunities, uh, I could have never dreamed even this dream where we're at now. Yeah. Um, if I had tried to make a plan and stuck to it, we would never get here. Mm. So I think having uh, having breathing room and having space where you welcome whatever comes about, whether it's opportunities or people you meet or anything like that, I think staying open. Yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like there's a lot to be said about having a plan and you know have a work your plan, plan your plan your work, work your plan. That mm-hmm. saying, um, I'm not much of a planner. Um, <laughs> But I get the value of it. Like yeah. I could be better at planning, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of value in just not focusing on where you want to be. Maybe having like a, a general vision of mm-hmm. what you want to become, right. who you want to become, what right. your values are, and like what you want to grow into, generally. Um, but how you get there, there's so many different roads. There's so many different right. paths you can take. Right. Uh, and if you just take that energy and you focus on doing what you do really well, mm-hmm. ice cream for you or for me, like connecting and sharing stories. Mm-hmm. If I could just do that really well, yeah. the, the universe will provide the road the, like yeah. the, the, you know, like the, the path will show itself. Right. What and do you think about that? I think that's absolutely right. And then also if you go down a path and the opportunities don't come, maybe you should get on a different path too. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. for sure. Cool. Uh, what is your biggest weakness? I would say, um, uh, I'm really impatient. Um, I like to hit the ground really hard. Um, I have that expectation for other people too. And, and sometimes I'll text my team and I'm, um, 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't do that because no one's going to answer me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, uh, just trying to have, uh, a little more space for patience and mm-hmm. understand that, um, same thing, step-by-step step, courageously try to be okay with little steps and not feel like you have to hit a home run all the time. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And, uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process? I look for, um, a, I would say examples of 
kindness and compassion. So people, uh, and also people who are well-rounded. Yeah. Um, that's one. So on our application, we ask, what are your hobbies and what are your, uh, what are your passions? And some people will say, I just, I really love working, um, in youth ministry or I love dancing. I love climbing and that's what they do. So people are really passionate about something else. Um, that tends to translate into the work that mm. we do. Um, so that's one thing. And then also, you know, is the person fun to be around? Is the person nice? I was like, we don't want any mean people around here. It's just not going to work out. It's like, I don't want to go to work with mean people. Yeah. So I want to, uh, you know, I want to have an environment where people feel supported yeah. and have other kind people around them to take care of them. So how do you know that someone's nice when you first meet them? I mean, you can tell sometimes. Um, the guy that walks in and um, demands a an application and then demands like his hours when he hasn't even been hired yet is probably not a Why good is it fit. Why going to be a guy? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking of a very specific guy. Uh. So it doesn't have to be a guy, but right. I'm thinking of a specific one that happened. Like this actually happened. So, oh, man. Um, he did not like, get the job. He did not, he did not get the interview. So. <laughs> uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Uh, I would say time. I uh, I just had a baby last fall. So thank you. So he's um, five months tomorrow. And I love spending time with him. And so um, I wouldn't even say balance because I feel like balance is good. But um, sometimes I definitely wish there were just more hours in the day so I could... uh, you know, live my, live my work dream while also living my family dream. But, um, it's so far it's, it's been able to, uh, live, uh, cohesively together. So what are you doing to get more time back? Uh, so I, uh, call my parents who live in Frankfurt and they love spending time with the baby. So, um, if I can get <laughs> them for a big chunk, then yeah. I just, it just forces me to be more efficient with my time, yeah. um, which is, uh, never a bad thing. Okay. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior, something you've, you've taught your team? I would say honesty, um, and openness, uh, because, if we if people aren't honest and I can't trust them, then it's it just doesn't work. I have to be able to trust people that when they tell me something, it's actual reality. How do you teach honesty? Well, for the most part, like I said, we find nice people mm-hmm. who are good people at heart. Um, I don't know that you can teach honesty, but uh, it's more in a sense of I think sometimes uh, team members will feel like, oh, I don't uh, I don't want to show that I messed up, so maybe. Um, I won't be as open about my screw up to somebody else. That's more of what I was talking about. And so I try to create an environment that said it is okay to make mistakes. And please, if you screw up, if you tell us early, we can maybe fix it better than if we find out down the road. Yeah. So please, um, you know, I make a ton of, I'm very open about mistakes that I make and I admit to them full heartedly and, um, publicly and internally all the time, I try to be an example of it is okay to, to screw up, but yeah. it's not okay to screw up multiple times on the same thing. And I think that's where a lot of restaurant owners go wrong. They, they don't set the culture. They don't set the, they don't teach people like you can teach honesty and it's, mm-hmm. you teach them. This is why we need to be honest. And like, Hey, like I'm going to be honest with you. Like I screw up all the time. When yeah. you screw up, like, Hey, I screwed up. And when right. you, you know, when you roll over and you expose your belly, your weaknesses, yeah. uh, people, trust you and then yeah. they they get it and you're, yeah. you're creating that culture and but you got to create it you know you, you yeah. have to set that standard you have to set that tone yeah uh beautiful uh share one uncommon standard of service you teach your team so this is something that's common within your ice cream shops but not common within the industry uh 
hmm, that's an interesting one. I mean, we try to go above and beyond on hospitality. Yeah. I mean, there's a certain level of service that you would expect at any place, yeah. but we try to take it to the very next level. So if you come in and you literally want to try every flavor, we will do it openly and happily, right. even if there's 50 people behind Flood you. Floodgates just open. I'm going upstairs and trying every piece of <laughs> You can, and we'll do it. <laughs> and if they, don't, <laughs> if they don't do it happily, then I hopefully we'll find out about it. Uh, what's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant operator? So I am notorious for starting books and never finishing them. So the two that I have started and have not finished, but really, really love are uh, setting the table by Danny Meyer. Um, And then uh, a book called creativity Inc which is um, by one of the founders of Pixar. Yes. I've heard good things about that book. What was the biggest lesson you got from that book? So that one, I think, uh, what I think actually just seeing that how much they struggled just to get off the ground, a lot of stories and really great companies, same thing, Apple, uh, Disney, um, being able to hear that those giant companies that however many years ago might not have ever happened if the founder didn't push on mm-hmm. and they didn't have the tenacity to believe in mm. something when everyone else thought uh, that their idea was crap. And um, so, so being able to feel assured, like, okay, maybe everyone else thinks I'm crazy, but I feel, (laughs) I feel good about this and I want to push forward with it. I love it. What is one online resource you've been leveraging and using? Uh, So we, uh, we are very technology heavy um, in our company. So we use uh, a lot of Slack, um, which is a internal messaging uh, app. Um, we also use Square, which is our POS system, which mm-hmm. we live and, and die by. Okay. Um, so yeah, I would say those are like the main ones. So why did you choose Square? So we started um, our mobile with Square mm-hmm. um, right before uh, it really hit big. So we were one of the first ones to adopt Square in the food truck industry here okay. in town. Um, and loved it because it was so easy to train. Um, it was easy to program. They added new features all the time that were easy to navigate. Um, so that's why that's why we cool. love it. Uh, and I'm curious. Uh, Slack has been mentioned a couple times. Yep. Uh, but take us through uh, how you guys leverage Slack, what that that looks like. Right. So we have um, so we have the two retail locations. We have a commercial kitchen that we share with some other companies. Um, and then we also have an office space. So all different pieces of our team are everywhere. Yeah. So in able to, uh, instead of sending a bunch of group texts and a bunch of emails that get lost, we use Slack. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have channels for different issues. So we have a channel for this location. Uh, we have a channel for... Um, product we call it product 911 meaning somebody ran out of something and needs something stat mm-hmm. uh, we have a channel for feedback so when we get good reviews we put all the reviews um, on there so people can see mm. so it's all organized and that way you can go back and search things reference things versus trying to look through 50,000 so you can group blast a a communication to like one group, one segment yes. of your business yes. uh, instead of like having to create like a new email list every time or yeah. a text, a text exactly. list Exactly. So whoever's in the channel, you can communicate with those And people. what about company-wide? Is there like a, a way you can like blast all those channels? There is. We, uh, we use a scheduling uh, and process and list app called Jolt. Okay. Um, so that uh, is our checklist for the opening, um, for closing. We use it for the schedule. So I can send um, something to everyone who's on the schedule that says, hey, uh, I need you to change your availability or hey, uh, this thing is coming up. Uh, it's a nice way to get information out to everybody. Okay. So Jolt covers scheduling, uh, systems, processes, mm-hmm. procedures. What was the other part of that? Uh, lists. So closing lists, closing opening lists, lists um, checklists. Checklists. And yep. does that integrate with Slack? 
Uh, it does not. Ooh. So that's the other piece. There, there's not a magic app for everything. So mm. we end up having to piece it together. With yeah. the, it would be so nice if you know we could have one thing that did all those things. So you developers out there, why don't you create yeah. something? Well, I think with the the way of the future, uh, the the POS systems that are really going to pull ahead are the ones that are open platforms yep. that pl- that sync well with other. Mm-hmm. Um, tools i mean there's a few companies out there doing it really well i think upserve and breadcrumb are doing it really well um but i don't want to plug anybody okay (laughs) (laughs) i try to stay unbiased uh anyway great tools uh so uh i think we can probably skip the next question which is what's one technology you're leveraging with with your restaurant because you kind of just hit that so the last question you ready for it yes Uh, hit me yes if you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy uh, what would those three pieces of wisdom be I would say uh, number one be yourself always um, in business in uh, your personal interactions and everything uh, number two I would say um, I would say live freely and without fear and then uh, the other one would be love thy neighbor. So take care of one another. And you guys literally love your neighbors in both these locations. You guys we are do. so yeah. tight knit. And that's one thing I've loved about this community is you guys really do work together. Yes, we do. I think uh, Lexington is really special in uh, how, you know, the restaurants we, I guess, all compete, but we also are very, very supportive. And I know, I know that that's not the case in every community. Mm-hmm. Um, we're increasingly more so. I think yeah, at one point so. it wasn't the case, but right. more and more people are realizing, hey, if we lean on each other right. and if we, you know, promote each other, uh, we together are stronger than we alone. Right. You know? Absolutely. Um, cool. Awesome stuff. Did I cut you yeah. short? No. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. That's how you got yeah. on my radar. Yeah. Uh, so who do you admire in this industry and believe would be a great guest mentor oh, on the man. show? Uh, there's a lot of wonderful people in this community, but... Uh, Going to Nashville. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know anyone in Nashville, but um, if you come back to Lexington, I would recommend hitting up Sunrise Bakery Ooh. with... Um, Steve and Christy Matherly. They have been around uh, with that bakery for a long time. And people go on Saturday morning. They call it our church. Is uh, we go to the bakery and see our friends and get some goodies, and they are the most uh, warm and community-minded folks, um, and super nice and, Beautiful. and hilarious. And they like dancing too, nice. so that's helpful. <laughs> that's always a plus. Sunrise Bakery, look at them coming after you. And let the folks at home know if we want to maybe ask a question about one of the tools you're leveraging, or we have a question about your story, or maybe we want to come join your team and work under your culture. What's the best way to connect? The best way is um, our website is crankandboom.com. You are also welcome to email me direct, which is tau, T-O-A, not T-A-O, at crankandboom.com. And um, yep, I live live and breathe with email. So if anyone wants to find me, that's the easiest way. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash tau green. That's like you said, T-O-A-G-R-E-E. E. Sorry, sorry, G-R-E-E-N, right? Yes, yeah, that's Tal correct. Uh, so <laughs> restaurantstoppable.com slash Green, And uh, I'll link back to all the tools and services that I recommended, the books recommended, a summary of today's discussion, plus how to connect with her will be all over there in the show notes. Tao Green, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, to thank share you for your having advice. Me. Oh, you were great. And there so is much. no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Well, there you go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurants Unstoppable Tau 
green, crushing it, dropping bombs of knowledge. I love this. Uh, I think some of the great advice we got from this conversation, uh, I, think, I think it came from her public relations background, and that is just get out there. Uh, be a part of your community. Find brands that you love that are doing great things that align with your values and uh, tie yourself to those brands and partner with those brands and uh, get that brand alignment and just be a part of your community. Like like she says, just get out there, right? And then also, uh, you know, the whole way that Crank and Boom was found, like she was just, you know, experimenting in her kitchen and she was uh, leaning into her creativity and she came across ice cream and then she realized that people were coming in just for the ice cream and she's like mm, you know like that, that's a hint that's that means you're on to something so she slowly started to lean into that uh, and slowly scaled it over time and it kind of like a like a seesaw you know it eventually took over and uh, I love the advice that she had that you know sometimes you have to uh, give up on one dream to pursue a, a bigger dream a, a, a dream that you can create more impact with uh, great stuff there awesome conversation uh, I loved it so uh, like always guys please do reach out to me Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com tell me what you want to hear tell me who you want to hear from uh, tell me what challenges you have I'll do my best to go to work for you get some experts on the show and um, yeah I'll keep those five star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming it's amazing that they're still rolling in thank you guys so much for leaving those reviews they help so much uh, but the best way to support the show is simply by sharing it who do you know in this industry who's aspiring to be great uh, you know you're the average of those you surround yourself with and with restaurant unstoppable you can surround yourself with the best in our industry find out how they think find out what they do in their their industry find out how they got to where they are today uh, and share this resource with, with as many people as you can so you know all ships will rise with the tide like they say all right guys that's it for today thank you so much for sticking around this long until next time peace out <laughs>